0: Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland.
0: And I'm Lauren Volkbein. And
1: today we're going to talk about something that we tackled in a previous episode, at least Chris and I did. Uh, we're going to talk about batteries uh, and also why have batteries been so slow to improve over time what what could be the future of batteries and uh and what are the implications of that this all comes to us courtesy of a listener suggestion Uh, david via twitter said could we talk about the improvements in battery technology and also why battery tech seems to lag behind other technology when it comes to big leaps it's um that's a good question and so you know it's something that a lot of people have commented on. The fact that you have something called Moore's Law, that's that observation that in general uh, microprocessors get twice the number of discrete elements, or if you prefer to think of it in another way, microprocessors tend to get twice as powerful every two years or so.
0: Mm-hmm. Thereabouts.
1: So, yeah, this is not exponential growth, which I have called it in previous episodes, by the way.
0: And people write in every time and call it, take us to task on it, which
1: is important because, because you should
0: it's a, when we get things wrong.
1: It's a misuse of the word exponential. I'm using it's a colloquial use, but I do not want to go down that hole again because I I'm like you guys. I get irritated when people misuse words too. I just wish I didn't do it as frequently myself. But anyway, it does double every two years or so, and. That's a a phenomenal amount of growth. We're talking about microprocessors that have billions of discrete elements on them now, and they're all down at the nanoscale. So there's this amazing amount of... Technology that has been poured into microprocessors.
0: Mm-hmm. In Partially because Moore's Law exists and companies uh strive to... to
1: Keep up with it, yeah, sure. to, to maintain it. Because Moore's Law, as we know, is not a real physical law. It's more of an observation. And companies, no one wants to be the company that comes out that and says, it. Yeah. yeah, we can't do that anymore. You know,
0: we just got bored, yeah. So oh, it,
1: it means that there's been a lot of innovation in that space. But meanwhile, on the battery front, batteries have... In large part, remain more or less the same for decades. I mean, we've, we've seen improvements in battery life. We've seen improvements in battery efficiency, but
0: there have been some new technologies, uh, over over the past 50 years, but but even
1: so, it just hasn't, it hasn't at all kept up with the microprocessor side. This is also, by the way, this ties into our episodes where we talked about things like the singularity where we talk about how technology doesn't all progress at the same rate. So while we do see devices getting more and more sophisticated and powerful, uh, the power supplies aren't keeping up with that trend. So it may be that the singularity, if it is ever going to arrive, is further off than what some people think, simply because the power side of the equation is lagging behind uh, the the technological sophistication side.
0: Right, absolutely. So why is
1: that? Uh, well, to understand it, we kind of have to, one, talk about what a battery is, and two, sort of look at the history of the development of batteries and, and talk about what exactly it does. Now, on a very, very basic level, a battery is something that uses electrochemical reactions so that you can guide electrons through a circuit. And have it do work,
0: and that's about it.
1: Yeah, that's that's really all a battery is, and uh, it, it's because there are certain chemicals that, when they have these reactions, they lose electrons in the process. And if you are able if to you guide can control them, the
0: flow of those electrons, then
1: you've got a battery. Mm-hmm. So uh, batteries uh, date back possibly as long as uh, more than two thousand years ago.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, the, these these clay jars found in modern day Iraq in nineteen thirty eight. Uh, you might have might have heard of them called uh, Baghdad batteries, where um, um, yeah, clay jars that contained an iron rod encased in copper. Uh, tests suggest that the jars were at some point filled with uh, with, with something acidic, like vinegar or wine. And uh, modern-day replicas have successfully created an electric charge. They might have been used for something like uh, like any anything from religious rituals and and medicinal purposes to even electroplating.
1: Right, and if you've seen uh, if you're a big MythBusters fan. You may have seen an episode where they actually showed these they created one of these batteries and then they tried to see if they could get enough of a charge for it to be detectable. Um so that that's a indication of that we were familiar with the fact that certain materials under certain uh, circumstances could emit this weird energy. Now, at that time, we weren't necessarily really aware of all the things it could do, but that would change as the centuries would pass. The next big date I have uh, is quite some time later, which is 1799. And that's when Alessandro Volta.
0: Count Alessandro Volta.
1: He's only one. If there were more than one, I would count them. Oh, sorry, you're talking about a nobility rank. So, Count Volta created uh, a battery by stacking alternating layers of zinc. <laughs> Lauren's just checked out at this point. Zinc, <laughs> brine-soaked cloth or paper, uh, and silver. He used these alternating layers, kind of a sandwich here, and we call this a voltaic peel. I mean, peel because it's French,
0: and, uh, and and voltaic after Volta.
1: Yes. And so, uh, the, this, this peel or pile, if you prefer, because it is a pile of stuff, uh, when you put it in this, this configuration, you start getting these chemical reactions that emit electrons. And you could make the stack taller and taller to get more electrons, a, a, a stronger flow of current, uh, through this Peel, but uh, in order to do that, you actually had to stack it up so high that eventually the weight from the top would start to squish the layers on the bottom, which would kind of make the brine soak out, mm-hmm. and that would make it less effective. And also, the metal itself would start to corrode fairly quickly from so, the
0: brine and the movement, yeah, yeah of the electrons. Right. It just wasn't wasn't
1: a practical way of generating electricity, but it showed the the premise, and it gave scientists the idea of. There's something here, and if we can figure out other ways of generating the same kind of energy, we might be able to harness it for something. Uh, skipping ahead, I mean, there, there are lots of different developments in this technology. I, I have two specific ones. Yeah. I think you have a few more. Oh,
0: the, the, the next really effective one, um, was, uh, was 1836.
1: Yeah. John Frederick Daniel, who was a, an English physicist. He created what we now call the Daniel cell which was a, a you, you take a glass jar and at the bottom of the glass jar you put on in a copper plate. So copper plate in the bottom of the glass jar and there's a wire from the copper plate that comes out of the jar. Then you pour copper sulfate on top of that copper plate uh, to about the halfway point of the jar. Then you suspend a zinc plate in the jar and then you pour zinc sulfate solution on top of the zinc plate. Now zinc sulfate is less dense than copper sulfate. So zinc sulfate will float on top of copper sulfate. If you've ever played with liquids of different densities that had different colors, then you know what I'm talking about. You can see that actual level of Separation. division. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's actually it's one of my favorite things. I just think it's super cool when it, when I see that. I'm easily amused, I admit it. But anyway, you also have a wire coming from the zinc plate uh, and exiting the jar. So a wire attached to this would become, that, that zinc plate becomes the negative terminal, that's where the electrons are flowing from, mm-hmm. and the copper plate becomes the positive terminal, that's where electrons are flowing to, and so if you were to connect the two wires together, it would very quickly burn out this battery, but uh, if you were to connect it to a circuit, it could actually do, uh, it could, you know, or a load as we call it, it could actually do work. So uh again not terribly practical it was it was useful for anything that was stationary uh but you know you're talking about a liquid uh battery here so it's not something that you could easily carry around or put into portable electronics
0: Right right yeah and there's there's a lot of a lot more elegant ways of of getting that that electrolyte kind of solution of uh, of you know just just a charged molecule then Yeah
1: yeah and it wouldn't be until we developed dry cell battery technology that we started to find practical ways of using it in portable, uh, means, you know, and even then, it, we, you know, the batteries weren't small enough to use in what we consider portable electronics today, but you could move it around. Uh, the, the kind of Daniel cells that, that, uh, John Frederick Daniel created were useful for different technologies, things like telephones. It was stuff that back then you did not carry around. I don't know if you kids know this, but telephones used to be these things that were extremely stationary. <laughs> It's only recently that we started carrying them around. Uh, Anyway, that's the kind of battery that became popular for that. Uh, Now, did you have any other ones you wanted to talk about before we move on to the basics of batteries?
0: Uh, Rechargeable batteries. Uh, The the, the science for that started started with research around 1859 or so when a French physicist, uh, Gaston Plant, uh, invented the lead acid cell um and that that was a that was a precursor to to modern day car batteries
1: so there you have you know the discovery that this chemical reaction that takes place within a battery you get compounds that form out of it and it makes the battery over time less effective that's why batteries die eventually the active elements that would create the flow of electrons end up combining with other stuff and for the purposes of an of passing a current through a, a circuit they become inert.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. So something either wears out, or um, or maybe uh, the, the the anode or cathode could uh, could dissolve in the solution.
1: Right. You just essentially what it means is that you run out of the stuff you need in order to, to make it go. to make this go. Right. And so, uh, what what was it, Plante?
0: Uh I believe so. Yes. yes.
1: What Plant discovered was that for some kinds of solutions, if you were to pass electric current through the system as opposed to uh, siphoning it off you could reverse this reaction the process
0: and yeah and create a battery that can be used more than once
1: right now this does not work for all batteries which is why you can't just throw any regular battery into a recharger and expect it to come out fine right there's, right there's yeah. some...
0: if, if you did that to a to a you know to a duracell or something like that it yeah, would that mostly wasn't... just explode right but... yeah
1: th- these are th- yeah, it has to be batteries that are using specific uh, uh, compounds in it for it to have this this reversible reaction cuz not all compounds will reverse mm-hmm. some of them once they're done they're done and that's we'll, a dead battery
0: we will talk about that a little bit a little bit later but right. um but but let's let's talk about how how exactly this this circuitry works
1: okay so if you've ever looked at a battery you've seen that there's uh, a side that is labeled as a plus and one that's labeled as a minus so positive and negative uh, if you're looking at Like a 9 volt battery, then they're next to each other. If you're looking at double A's or whatever, then it's on one end and the other. So, the negative end, the, that's where the electrons flow out of. That's, the electrons flow from that end through a circuit and into the positive end. Uh, now we know that, you know, the, uh, the opposite charges attract. So that's why the negative wants to get to the positive. And, Inside the the uh, the battery itself, there is a chemical called or a compound called an electrolyte. Now, the electrolyte has a very important job. It blocks those electrons from just passing from the negative side to the positive side
0: directly, directly. because that would burn burn everything out.
1: Yeah, the you wouldn't ha- you wouldn't be able to power anything. The battery would just you would just have a chemical reaction inside a canister, and it would be dead within however long it took for those Not those very reactions. Long. Yeah. Um, so it does allow ions to pass through, but not electrons, uh, and that becomes important. So the negative terminal is connected to something that is called the anode. The positive terminal is connected to what we call the cathode, and these together are the electrodes of a battery. Then you've got the separator between the anode and the cathode. That's present that's preventing those two sides from reacting to each other. And you have the electrolyte that allows the electric charge to flow between cathode and anode, allowing the ions to pass through while making sure the electrons don't. And then you have a collector, which is the part of the battery that conducts the charge to the outside of the battery and through whatever the load is, the electronic load, so the circuit. Um, So within that anode side, the negative side... The chemical reaction that takes place is called oxidation. It's an oxidation reaction. This ends up releasing ions, and the ions move through the electrolyte to combine on uh, the other side. And then you've got uh, the release of electrons that go through the circuitry. Uh, on the cathode side, you've got the reduction reaction. That's where the cathode material and the ions uh, combine with the electrons that are coming in through the circuit.
0: Those free electrons, right? Yep. Yeah,
1: that, they form a new compound. And so essentially, you've got the anode freeing up electrons, the cathode accepting electrons, and the electrons do work along the way. Mm-hmm. So if you were to actually connect a wire from the negative terminal to the positive terminal, you would, uh, allow that, that pathway to be open, and it would just start to burn up that battery. And free
0: flow, yeah. Pretty quickly. Yeah.
1: Don't do that. <laughs> It's a waste of batteries, it's going to heat up that wire, it doesn't do anything other than kill your battery. Yeah. But uh but that's what happens. It's it, so when you've got it plugged into something, whenever you turn the switch on to whatever it is, whether it's a you know, a, a lightsaber or a phaser, you know, I allow all kinds of science fiction toys for batteries, but uh whenever you turn it on, it opens up that circuit and that allows the electrons to flow through. And uh when you turn it off, then the one of the gates gets closed essentially and you no longer uh, the the connection's no longer there so the battery stops uh the chemical reaction it has to have that pathway open for the chemical reaction to keep going now, there are several different basic types of batteries that are out there, and, uh, we're just gonna cover a couple of them, and we're covering them based upon the stuff that's inside them.
0: Uh, right, because there's a whole bunch of different substances that you can use to create these reactions, like, yeah. like we said, so.
1: Yeah, so, uh, so one basic type is the, is alkaline batteries. Uh, the anode in alkaline batteries tends to be zinc powder, so the anode, again, is that negative side, that's where the electrons are coming from. The cathode side has uh, typically manganese dioxide, and the electrolyte is typically potassium hydroxide. These are the kind of batteries that you typically find in AA's, C, and D batteries.
0: Uh, right. These are all examples of uh, – this is an example of dry cell batteries. Yes.
1: Yes. Uh, which dry cell batteries? One of the big benefits of those is that you don't have to worry about liquid sloshing around inside the battery, so that allows it to be used in lots of applications. Mm-hmm. You know, anything that's liquid, obviously, you can't shake around too much, or else it's going to disrupt it, and you're not going to have a working battery for very. They're long.
0: more, they're more more volatile.
1: Yeah, you want that. You want that in a very uh, stationary position. Then you've got zinc carbon batteries. Uh, these have an anode that has, that's a uh, zinc, obviously. Uh, and then you've got the manganese dioxide cathode, but the electrolyte in this case is often either ammonium chloride or zinc chloride. These are often found in AAA, AA, C, and D dry cell batteries. Then you've got lithium ion batteries. These are the ones that we find in laptops, smartphones, cameras, that kind of stuff. Uh, they are rechargeable batteries, and they have different materials in them, but, uh, one common version of lithium-ion batteries uses a carbon anode and a lithium cobalt oxide cathode. And, uh, and yeah, these are the ones that we use when we're recharging our, our various electronics, very frequently anyway. Then you've got lead-acid batteries. These are the ones that you often find in cars. So these
0: are more heavy-duty, right? They, yeah. they They are more volatile. They do include liquid.
1: Yeah, they they include their, well, their their electrolyte tends to be sulfuric acid. This is one of the reasons why you want to be really careful with car batteries because the the materials inside them can be very caustic and and they can damage you, your stuff, your car. It's why you know you got to be really careful with these things. Um, they tend to have uh, uh, lead dioxide and metallic lead as their electrodes. So, yeah, the rechargeable battery we've already talked about, that's the kind where if you uh, put the electric current through the battery, you reverse this uh, this chemical reaction. Uh, it depends upon what that rechargeable battery is made from, whether how effective this, this process is, right? Because there are some kinds of rechargeable batteries that have, well, they have a memory, and that memory is not a good one. The memory effect is what I'm talking about. So right. I don't know how many of you are familiar with this, but uh, if you've ever heard someone say that before you recharge your device, you should make sure that it's completely the the, the current charge is completely uh, uh, out. This like,
0: this was due to some some older types of batteries that have been mostly replaced by lithium ion batteries. Yeah,
1: nickel cadmium is the the main uh, culprit here. Mm-hmm. So the problem that some people notice with nickel cadmium is that if you used a nickel cadmium battery for a while, and then you recharged it before you had completely discharged the original charge, uh, it wouldn't hold as much of a charge the next time. So let's say that I've got a device that has a nickel cadmium battery in it, and I run it down to about 20% left, like it's it only has 20% charge left, and I decide to recharge it. Well, now its new maximum charge is more like 80% of what it used to be. Because I didn't let it go all the way down. down. It remembers that 20 percent, but it doesn't let me actually consume that power anymore. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that was a problem. Now, most batteries now don't have that issue. I mean, there's still a minor memory effect in, in some rechargeable batteries, but it's not nearly as dramatic as it the older batteries were.
0: Right. So so yeah. So if you are using a lithium ion battery and someone tells you that thing, you can you can tell them that we told you no.
1: No. No, not as big a deal. And another interesting thing about batteries is what happens if you place them in series versus in parallel. So in series, it sounds kind of, you know, is what it is. You you've got them hooked up so that they are all uh the 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 charges
0: running through one and then another and then another right. in a uh in, in sequence a, yeah
1: in a sequence exactly and uh if you do that you increase the voltage of the output now if you put them in parallel you increase the current now you might wonder what's the difference between voltage and current if you if you're not really familiar with electronics i always have to look this up because i i i, I always second guess myself but mm-hmm. Voltage measures the energy per unit charge, and you can think of that as it's how strong the electrons are pushed through a circuit. So think of it like water pressure. Right. You know, through a hose. So the greater the water pressure, the harder that water is being pushed through the hose. That's essentially your voltage. It's, you know, and then current is the rate at which electric charge passes through a circuit. Now, voltage will stay constant. The voltage output will stay constant based upon whatever kind of battery you have or whether or not they're in series, uh, but otherwise it's going to remain the same. Current, however, will vary depending upon the load you place it, uh, you place on it. You hook up to it. Yeah, right. So, and that can, uh, like the resistance of the wire can affect what the current is. So, current is variable, voltage is not. And uh, uh, apart from the fact that if you put them in series, you increase the voltage. But once you've done that, it does not vary. Um, all right. Well, that's the basis, uh, the very basic uh, foundation of batteries. And in a moment, we're going to talk about why we haven't moved very far away from this basic explanation we just gave you. But before we do that, I'd like to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor... All right, so we're back uh and we've learned the basic function of a battery and how it does what it does. So, what's the problem? Why haven't we made super batteries that last forever and never need to be recharged and can put out more energy than uh, a generator?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there's the, the the first commercial dry cell batteries premiered in 1898 and they haven't really changed all that much since then.
1: Yeah, we've we've experimented with different materials sure but the actual process has remained very much the same and there are physical limits that chemical batteries have right that they, they can only generate so much electricity through these reactions
0: uh, th- There have been a few permutations of different things in addition to those nickel cadmium batteries that, that have the, the memory effect uh, problem that we mentioned mm-hmm. earlier there's there was also some uh, some nickel metal hydride. Uh, but they had a really short shelf life um, they, they would start degrading pretty quickly
1: yeah yeah that's another thing about some types of batteries is that
0: lithium-ion batteries have that problem as well yeah. um they're they're less bad at it but yeah. they're still not ideal
1: right the idea being that these these chemical reactions like the longer the battery sits idle the uh the the less Juice Effective you're going to get, yeah. yeah, and yeah. and
0: and this doesn't have anything to do with how much you use it. It's it's from the moment that they're made. Yeah, so
1: yeah, and also uh you may have heard stories about well, if you want to uh, keep your batteries from degrading, you should put them in the refrigerator. Don't do that.
0: Don't do that thing. because
1: that actually it actually slows down the chemical processes that happen when you when you turn actually a battery. plug it in. Yeah, when yeah. you're when you're trying to use the battery, and you're going to not get as much juice as you thought you were because the chemicals themselves are too cold to have those chemical reactions happen at the correct rate. They're still going right. to happen, but you're going to get a measly uh, amount of juice out of it.
0: Right. So, so far, uh, lithium ion batteries, especially for small uses, have have been um, have been pretty, pretty rad. Um, however, they are very sensitive to high temperatures, um, you know, w- which is occasionally why they wind up exploding, bursting into flame.
1: Yeah. Let's, um, let's also point out that lithium is uh, an alkali metal. So, and we'll we'll talk about in a little bit. We're going to talk about a a uh, a possible future type of battery that people are working on right now, where that's really an issue. Uh, Both lithium and sodium are being considered for new types of batteries, but both of them are alkali metals. The big problem, there are several problems, but the big problem I would say with that is alkali metals belong to a class where they tend to be, let's say, reactive. When they come into contact with water. So if you've ever heard stories about sodium and water, or if you've ever seen anyone demonstrate what happens when sodium encounters water, uh, you know it's explosive. Mm-hmm. The same thing is true of lithium. All right. This is where we get a little chemistry lesson. Everyone go and get your periodic table of elements. I'll wait. Now, if you look at the left-hand side of that table of elements, you're going to see... That down a line you're going to have lithium and you're going to have sodium that are both in that same line as well as potassium and some other alkali metals. That means that those elements share common characteristics. And one of those is when water comes in contact, sometimes things go boom. So first of all, never, never, ever play with these If you get hold of sodium or lithium, never play with that and water. This is seriously dangerous stuff.
0: I'll also probably just, just don't. I mean, because, because water is in the air around us in, in great enough quantities that hypothetically it can burst into flame.
1: I know of someone. I didn't, this is a friend of a friend story. So it's possibly apocryphal. So, so it could be urban legend. I admit that, but I know of someone who, uh, pocketed some sodium. Uh, from his, uh, chemistry class mm-hmm. and then was walking around with it in his pocket and, uh, his body was giving off, uh, moisture. Mm-hmm. And so he began to feel a burning sensation in his pants and immediately ran to the bathroom and pulled the sodium out and threw it into the toilet. Oh no. Which then exploded.
0: Which, oh.
1: Yeah, again, could be apocryphal. This is, it was a story about a high school student who went to a rival school. So it could have very well been one of those stories where, haha, ha, the people who go to that school are so dumb, so much more dumb than the people who go to my school, which is saying something. I'm just kidding. I love all my classmates. Go Spartans. <laughs> but anyway, uh.
0: You were the Spartans. I was the Spartans. Wow. We're it's Spartans. We're Spartans. Yeah. Spartans together. Well,
1: this is tech stuff. So. <laughs> But the point, the point being that Um, these, these, these elements have serious drawbacks to them and that's one of the reasons why uh, the bat- another reason why battery improvement has gone so slowly because we have to find safe ways to handle this stuff so that it doesn't come into contact with water and then just blow up.
0: Oh, right. Uh, part of that in lithium-ion batteries specifically is that they have to have a very small, very simple onboard computer to to manage the way that all of the bits flow around in there. Right. And uh, and, and that, that makes them pretty expensive. Lithium is already pretty expensive, but it makes them even more expensive than they would already be.
1: Now, we have seen some improvements with battery life in in recent years but a lot of that doesn't come from improvements in the batteries it's coming in improvements in the actual electronics we are finding more efficient ways to generate the stuff we want so your smartphones if you've got a smartphone uh, recently that has uh, a decent battery life it may not be that the battery is so much better, it's just that the people who designed the hardware and software were able to maximize performance while being as efficient as possible. So you're still working with the same basic amount of, of, of oh, juice, yeah, yeah. But, but you don't need as much of it to do the stuff you are doing.
0: Exactly. Speaking of that juice, though, um, the problem with batteries and the reason that, that that gasoline has not been ousted completely by batteries is that uh, gasoline has an energy density of something like 13,000 watts Hours per kilogram, which is which is just a measure of of how much juice it has, How, right. much, um, how,
1: how much how, how much work you can get out of a cert, a given amount of gasoline?
0: Sure. Um. Uh, the best lithium-ion batteries only hold about two hundred watt hours per kilogram. So with a, a, of a of a hypothetical in a perfect world situation, four hundred possible.
1: So still vastly underpowered when you compare it to uh, uh, gasoline. Right. Now there are some. Uh, people out there, very, very smart people working on batteries that would have much higher densities, power densities for their batteries if they can get the batteries to work.
0: If they can get the, yeah, the components to, to, to play nicely. Um, yeah, to
1: not explode and to work <laughs> on larger scales and to work after more than three charges. There are a lot of barriers that are in place and we'll talk about some specific, uh, cases, but keep in mind there have been dozens if not hundreds of different experiments in trying to improve battery technology and most of them just have not panned out they might have seemed promising at the beginning but when you get to a point where you're thinking all right how are we going to scale this up where we can actually manufacture it or uh, create a battery large enough to do something useful and then things start to break down so one of the ones i wanted to talk about were these things called micro batteries and this was something that uh that we received from that initial request to talk about battery improvements right, and this is a story about uh, a, a team of researchers from the University of Illinois uh, talking about a a particular type of battery that uses these very tiny uh, electrodes and lots and lots of them and they're three dimensional electrodes and Uh, it was almost like these electrodes are kind of intertwined together. So they're very close together, which allows the ions to pass very, very quickly. It also allows electrons to flow very quickly. And the idea being that you would be able to release quite a bit of energy in a short amount of time, faster than you could with most batteries. And you could also recharge the battery way faster.
0: Right, right. Because that throughput speed has a lot to do with how effective a battery is.
1: Yeah. And in fact, uh, according to several articles that were posted about this technology, uh, BBC did one as well as some other outlets. They the The claim was that such a battery would be reach, could be recharged 1000 times faster than competing technology. Oh wow. So you could turn your, uh, you, you know, plug your smartphone in. Let's say your smartphone has one of these batteries in it and you plugged it in. After a second, it's fully recharged. You don't have to leave it there for hours for it to charge up. Wow. Which is, that's a very attractive thing. So you're thinking, well, if it can release lots of energy and if it can be recharged in a blink of an eye, where's the problem? Well, mostly the problem comes in from the manufacturing side and the scalability, as well as uh, the fact that it's not the most reliable technology. Ars Technica actually ran a great article where they really looked into this and and dove deeper than a lot of the other uh, outlets did to kind of take a look at this technology with a skeptical eye, just to make sure that it really did measure up to the hype, because We've seen this before with battery technology, right? Oh yeah. And this isn't to say that they want the team won't figure out a way of of solving the problems that they face, but here are some of the problems. One of them is that it's really hard to manufacture these things. The way that the team was doing it, they were using this uh this essentially gold
0: mm-hmm. uh, to
1: make these little three-dimensional um electrodes electrodes sort of, and then they used polystyrene uh p- uh little little tiny polystyrene uh pills essentially packing them in there, twisting the electrodes around, coating it in nickel, uh, in a well, in a, a combination of nickel and tin, and then uh, a nickel tin alloy, actually, and then coating the rest of it with manganese oxyhydroxide, uh, and then uh, melting away the polystyrene so it Wow. It's gone. Yeah. Uh, then immersing the whole thing to a liquid that was heated to 300 degrees Celsius or 572 degrees Fahrenheit. And so it's what even the team has referred to as a boutique manufacturing approach, meaning that... It's very detailed. It's painstaking. It is not automated.
0: Extremely expensive. Um, yeah, it's not. And, s- and yeah, time not, consuming. Exactly.
1: And- not something that's scalable to mass manufacturing methods.
0: Uh, right now, certainly. Right.
1: That's not to say mm-hmm. that they wouldn't find some other way of doing it. They may find a way of doing it where it doesn't require this series of painstaking steps in order to get the result that they want. But uh, it's not. Ideal. Another problem is that the electrolyte they're using is combustible. Mm-hmm. So that's always a concern. If you get it too hot, it could burst into flames. Uh, um, or you know, if you were to get it close to a flame, it could catch fire. And on top of all that, uh, the battery loses about 5% of its capacity with each charge-discharge cycle. So after 15 cycles, it would be down to about two-thirds of its original capacity. And uh, if you were to do... A full discharge, full charge, it might be even worse than that. So while it would recharge very quickly, it would have a little less juice each Each time. time. And so after you recharge it 20 times.
0: You have to go buy a new charge. Yeah,
1: you have to buy a new battery. A new battery, right. A new battery, right. So uh, that raises... Lots of problems too, waste problems, for example, like yeah. e- even if you were to say, well, that's acceptable because I want to be able to charge my phone in a second, you could do that twenty times and then you have to go buy a new battery
0: yeah, and especially when the when the technology to create it is so uh, so detailed and expensive and
1: to be fair, you wouldn't even. You wouldn't even go twenty times, right? Because right. each time you would have less juice, and so your ba- your phone would be uh, less and less useful over time. So, after after your phone doesn't last more than a couple of hours, you think, "Well, I got to get a new battery." So that might be six or seven recharges, depending upon how hard you are on right. your electronics. If you're me, <laughs> then you'd be like, "All right, recharged it. Get me a new battery."
0: Right. Yeah. Right.
1: So, um, so that that's. The downside to this micro battery technology, that's not to say, again, that they won't find ways around that. Engineers are brilliant at finding ways of fixing problems, but it's not going to be the revolutionary battery technology that we're all going to see in our smartphones in the next few months. It'll it will at least be a couple of years before we can see this rolled out in any way, assuming that they find a way to fix these problems.
0: Right uh one of the other ones that i wanted to talk about are um lithium air batteries now, and
1: this is where we're getting into those alkali metals and the concern about how they react with water
0: exactly uh you you know um they they could hypothetically store up to four times as as much uh as as lithium ion batteries as much power as lithium ion batteries but um uh, they 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 work in that um Lithium combines with with oxygen that's trapped by a carbon surface. Uh, carbon nanotubes are, are popular right now, yep. and um, and the resulting interplay of these lithium ions and electrons induces the flow of current. Um,
1: yeah, you get a you get a you know, one of the byproducts you get out of this is uh, lithium peroxide, which is uh, a problem because. As it accumulates, it starts to make it more difficult to recharge the battery
0: right so uh, they, they, they've only recently figured well the, the they, they've had a bunch of, of uh barriers to to making this work that right. is that is one of them they're they're starting to for a long time, they didn't understand why the electrochemical reactions were going so poorly in these things. And it wasn't until uh, uh, May 13th of 2013 that, that um, researchers at MIT and Sandia National Labs announced that they were starting to be able to observe the reactions at all to figure out why this yeah. isn't working. And
1: that's when they started seeing this lithium peroxide forming mm-hmm. that was inhibiting the flow of electricity. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did discover that if the electricity were flowing, that the lithium peroxide was starting to reduce around the trouble spots. And they figured that if they could improve the electron flow of the battery overall, then they might be able to get around this problem so that recharging doesn't become an issue.
0: Oh, right. Uh, uh, that, that explosion thing that we mentioned earlier is still, still an issue. Because uh, when, when you're dealing with, you know, these... these carbon surfaces are allowing air to basically breathe into the battery and since water... Happens in air.
1: Yeah, you'd have to find either a way of coating the lithium inside the battery so that the water would not react with the surface of lithium, or you'd have to find a way of filtering the water out entirely so that only There's some kind of
0: membrane uh, at the top end. Right. Yeah, yeah
1: a hydrophobic membrane is mm-hmm. what we like to call that. It's scared of water. It pushes water out. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it that. That's an issue. Now there is a potential. Uh, alternative to lithium air batteries called sodium air batteries that are even they they are they may not be able to hold as much energy as a lithium uh, it's, air it's battery a, could. it's a lower
0: theoretical energy density but a higher practical energy density at the, right. c- at the current moment exactly
1: the so <laughs> current moment oh dear yeah so oh dear. Um, yeah no it's it always happens uh, you can't get around it but yeah that's so, so that's a possibility, but again, remember, sodium is part of that alkali metal group. So, again, same issues. You get that you know, water in contact with sodium, and battery go boom. Yeah. Instead of. Instead of zap,
0: yay zap. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's there's also research being done into what's being called solid state batteries, mm-hmm. um, which are kind of kind of the lithium ion um, solution to dry cell batteries. It's it's using. Um, Thin layers of solid electrolyte instead of, instead of the, the liquid that most lithium ions use. Gotcha. Um,
1: yeah, and then there's a, uh, I, I read on Wired this interesting idea of spray can batteries where each of the, each of the elements that you would find within a battery, the, the cathode, the anode, the electrolyte, all that is mm-hmm. represented by a different can of, uh, sprayable material, so you could actually spray this material onto different surfaces and make a battery that way. And the idea being that this would allow you to create batteries in devices that would incorporate the battery design directly into the device, so you wouldn't have this blocky battery compartment. Now, it's not saying that these batteries would be particularly efficient or powerful compared to what we have now, just that this would give us more opportunity to explore different ways of shaping batteries so that they are part of our electronics and not just, you know, again, not just some clunky thing that you have to fine make room make for make
0: room for right right and and also not so heavy what um, would be terrific uh that reminds me of the nanocomposite paper batteries that some people are, are working on these are these are composed of cellulose and um and aligned carbon nanotubes woven together um, and and they're, they're they're small they're flat they're flexible they're implantable um, they 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 could hypothetically, be put into medical devices.
1: Yeah, these could actually use biological fluid as ionic fluid. Uh So it ends up turning your body's fluids into the electrolyte it needs. Mm -hmm. This is just making me think of uh, idiocracy. It's (laughs) electrolyte. It's the thing that plants crave. Um, I was doing the hand gesture and everything, for those of you who are fans of that movie. Uh, Then there's also, uh, you know, The Verge reported on bacteria, that are able to transfer electricity. And scientists had known about this for a while, but they weren't sure about what the mechanism was. Like, how did it transfer electricity? And they discovered that, uh, that there were proteins on the bacteria's surface that were responsible for electron transfer. Uh, the bacteria is, uh, <laughs> this is, this is going to be a train wreck of a pronunciation. I
0: don't have it in front of me, Ready? so good luck.
1: <laughs> Shewanella? But anyway, it attaches to rusty iron and other materials and breaks those down. And in the process of breaking down these materials, it releases electrons. So why are we interested in this? Because by studying biological organisms that can emit electricity as part of some uh, process where it's consuming something, we might be able to create biological batteries.
0: Right, and th- these are these are a little bit more of a fuel cell, really, um, yeah. than a battery. But
1: and and to explain the difference, a fuel cell is a uh, a device that you put fuel into, and then there's a chemical reaction that generates electricity, and then you refill the fuel cell. So, and you know, with a battery, what you're doing is you're using an electric. Uh, uh, or electrochemical reaction to harness electricity, and then you either have to reverse the the reaction in order to get the battery to do it again, or you have to replace the battery. Fuel cell, you just refill it with fuel. So hydrogen fuel cells are the ones that most people know about because those are the ones that we've talked about for things like cars. Right. Hydrogen fuel cells use hydrogen, which is the most plentiful element on Earth, although you have to break it up from other stuff. It doesn't it doesn't uh, it's not so plentiful in its pure state. It's usually a right, compound. Right.
0: It's, it's in water, which is very plentiful oh, and
1: hydrocarbons as well. Also sure. very plentiful. But you have to separate the hydrogen out first, which requires energy. A but, lot of energy. But once you've got it, <laughs> assuming that you've assuming that you found some sort of a hydrogen mine where it's not going to take you too much energy to get it uh, free, um, you put hydrogen on one side of a, uh, a membrane. Um, that has a catalyst on it, usually something really expensive like platinum. And then on the other side of the membrane, you've got oxygen. The membrane allows the uh, hydrogen ions to pass through, but not hydrogen atoms. It has to lose the electrons for it to pass through. The electrons go through a circuit, just like it would with a battery, and combine on the other side. So the hydrogen ions pass through the membrane, and it meets up with the oxygen and says, Hey, you want to... You want to go do something? I got my buddy here. My buddy here and I would love to take you out to dinner. And so the two hydrogen take out the one oxygen to dinner. Meanwhile, the electrons come back over through the circuit and recombine, and then you get water. So the output of a hydrogen-based fuel cell is water, electricity, and heat. Which is why everyone which is thinks a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, they think this is why we would love to use it to fuel cars because instead of giving off uh, all these different all these greenhouse gases, right? yeah. Uh now water vapor is technically a greenhouse gas, but it's water vapor. It's not carbon dioxide, it's not methane or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So that's why they're very attractive. But they are you know, they're similar to batteries, but they are there is a difference.
0: There is. So Um, you have any others? I do I do have a have a bio battery that I was just reading about research last November at MIT Harvard and the Massachusetts eye and ear infirmary. Um the okay, so so mammals have in their inner ears a chamber that's filled with ions, mm-hmm. and um, uh, these these ions produce an electrical potential, which drives neural signals. And, and what this means is that um, this, this is the chamber in your ear that uh, that lets the vibration of your eardrum be converted into an electrochemical signal that your brain can read,
1: and then interprets as sound.
0: And interprets as a sound. Correct?
1: Awesome. Um, okay.
0: And so but 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 you've got this this inner chamber that's just hanging out with ions in it which is a potential battery. Um and these researchers put um put some electrodes in there along with a very low power uh electronic device and um the chamber produced enough power with these electrodes to power the device to wire, wirelessly transmit data out that's pretty cool. to uh, to an external drive.
1: Now again we're talking about you know we're not talking about stuff that's that's Advancing the power of batteries, but we are looking at brand new applications that could, that are really exciting. Yeah. It's just, uh, but again, this isn't the thing that's going to make your cell phone last longer.
0: Oh, probably, probably not. Yeah. It's, it's really, really, really low power. Um, it, but it would, it would mostly be great for, uh, for medical advances and, um, Uh, hearing aids. Yeah, cochlear implants, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So any, anyway, the, the advances we're talking about for the most part are, again, just refining the technology that we already have. It may turn out that we just have to find a different means of generating electricity that goes away from this electrochemical model entirely for us to get beyond this, this bottleneck or if one of these other uh like if the lithium air or sodium air batteries work out or if the micro battery works out yeah, maybe maybe that'll be that would be a huge leap ahead if either of those of any of those work any,
0: out any any more efficient uh chemical combination right
1: right so there we're not saying it's impossible we're just saying that it's been several decades and we've only seen incremental improvements so don't be surprised if that stays the same If it doesn't stay the same, if we do have this huge leap, that's going to be awesome for everybody. And that's what everyone wants. Just, you know, be prepared to wait just what I'm saying. All right. So I think that was a good ex- uh, explanation of batteries. Also, what the future is and why it's kind of lagging behind, uh, at least in respect to the way processors are taking off. If you guys have any ideas for future episodes, there's a concept you really want explained, or there's a particular gadget or computer that you think needs to be talked about, or there's a company or a person, let us know. Send us an email. That address is at techstuffatdiscovery.com. Or drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is HSW, And Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.